0: Hey, welcome to an all-new episode of Talking the Terror, the Terror Infamy, Season 2 of the series The Terror. I am Jen, and I am joining you uh, from cloudy, sort of almost cold Hawaii. Wow, I never thought I'd hear myself say that. And I'm joined by Kinte. Kinte, how are you? My awesome, fabulous partner in crime.
1: I'm doing good and I'm looking forward to talking about this new episode.
0: So, uh, you know, just to sort of, uh, just to sort of act as a, a bit of a segue, uh, I, I have often found that third episodes of a uh, series can be really pivotal in terms of either making the case for the series or breaking it completely and losing interest. And, I have to say that after I saw this episode, I might not only was I rekindled in terms of what I was thinking might happen, but wow, they put a lot of thought and effort into this and I, I I can't wait to break it down. What were your, what did you think?
1: Um, I, I thought in this episode that, uh, We obviously got a deeper understanding of who our characters are and what is going on to a certain point. Um, To be honest with you, I'm not not fully in love just yet, um, but it was definitely a step up from the first two episodes for sure.
0: So I'm going to go out on a limb here. Um, And I don't think I'm actually going to surprise anybody by saying this, but the terror infamy is... I think more almost in line with what the terror in our first season aimed to be, but didn't quite make because the supernatural element was uh, quite a bit more profound. And here it is quite a bit more understated. And that is that this is definitely a very historical glimpse into something that, that, I mean, obviously this happened in our, uh, in our history. It's not something that I would consider to be horror by genre. I, I, I almost feel like this is historical thriller. Um, and there are some elements of, you know, supernatural horror pieces kind of thrown in, but tell me how, what do you think? Do you feel like that's sort of where we're at now at this point?
1: Um, i feel like we are getting into a more deepening understanding of chester his thought process and what he believes um his role as far as in his own family as well as the u.s family as well and and family is a big part of this particular episode as it is uh, the through line through the whole season but especially this episode because we got to see him deal with his japanese family that's the japanese culture uh we also got his own family his startup family with him uh lose and uh the baby and then also his family when it comes to um his mother father and you know and such so um you know he's a we've talked about this is he's very naive and he comes off even more so naive in this episode uh you know uh you would think with, I think they said they've been in there now for a month that he would have got more of an understanding of who he's dealing with and what's going on, but it seems like, I don't know, he has this thing where, is it, you know, if I if I show them I'm a good American that, you know, that I can change the tide, or, or remember at some point he says, uh, when we win the war, things will change and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff, whereas yep. the father who was delusional it, it, to a certain degree? Um, he understands from what you know he went through.
0: You, you know, see, I, I actually see this as being uh, a fairly big strength of the storytelling, and and it's odd because, well, I shouldn't say odd. It, it definitely wasn't clear to me until this episode that the that the context of the the the, the context of the history that we're talking about is it is clearly front and center. It's very prevalent. It's a a big thing. And what I thought was going to happen was that uh, we were going to get a glimpse into uh, the terror as almost sort of a a double meaning word, right? There's the terror of just being in existence during that time. And what a terrible time. I mean, this was honestly just horrible for the people that were there. And that the terror itself was uh, the signal of what the supernatural was, right? That is the, the terrifying aspect. And, and I still think that we are headed down that road, but from as a, as we moved into the episode, let's, let, let's do this. Let's break down the episode just a little bit, because I think that there are some important pieces here, which, which now I feel like I've got a little bit more clarity on and, maybe I can sort of uh, tell you where I'm coming from in that perspective. And maybe you'll see things completely different. And I would love to hear that too. Um, So we, we opened the episode with them watching a Western, which is being sort of in real time translated into Japanese, which, you know, on so many levels, that was just absolutely amazing. Uh, Of all of the, when we see films in Japanese dubbed in English, it sounds similarly ridiculous. Right. And so that piece was just, I mean, it was just somebody cinematically just like genius moment. I have to say that I immediately thought of Tony tossed in that he's one of the, uh, one of the producers for the show. And, you know, with all of his involvement with sort of the Western, uh, it just made me think of him. Um, that that was, you know, in some way his influence. Um, but but more importantly, I think in that very opening scene, what we see is that translation is everything, right? The, what you see is not always what is depicted. And th- to me, that was a very interesting pivot point to start with because what we have seen so far has pretty much been the reality of just the world as it's, as it is being shown. Yes, there are some elements that we don't understand, but we're privy to sort of every little piece. And here in this opening scene, what, what we sort of infer is, listen, you can witness something and it may not be exactly what you think it is. That I, I found that to be really super fascinating as a, a way to open. More so but because of what happens a little bit later with the translation, which I will get to. Um, but just in terms of that opening scene, I just, I really, I thought that that was pretty much, that was genius. I, I will say that it it was almost uncomfortable. Did you feel that way?
1: Yes, very much so, yeah.
0: Because something, because it almost felt like, and, you know, I, I, in a way it felt actually really good to be in that position. It felt uh, oddly appropriating. Like, wow, <laughs> how can anybody see a Western and say those things? Right. It, it was fascinating. So, right. okay. So the, the, we kind of, we move forward. There's a lot uh, of the meat of the story that deals with, Chester and Luz and sort of what they are experiencing and going through and how life in the camp has been really difficult for both of them, I think I could say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there, you're right, there's a lot of story building uh, when it comes to the two of them, sort of understanding where each one of them is coming from. Um, There was a great scene in there where Chester is taking pictures and the wind picks up again, which is clearly a signal for some transitional piece. What I found super interesting about that is that, and I don't know if you saw this, but the the moment that the wind picks up, the camera does a strange thing where it feels like where uh, before the wind, it's steady. After the wind, it's operationally very loose do you did you get that
1: mm, no i didn't I didn't no.
0: if you watch after the wind, the camera gets a little bit shaky and 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 obviously the camera angle changes quite a bit where uh where Chester is concerned. I went back and I actually watched the first episode to see if I could get that in in other places and it isn't quite so prevalent and i don't know if it's because chester is now recognizing that the wind that that wind is some kind of signal an omen something uh, something that is saying this is what's happening but the but the other thing that seems to happen along with that supernaturally in this episode is a a a repeating of a single phrase which is um you have to leave here, Chester. Chester, you have to go. Chester, you have to go. And that was spoken at the beginning of the episode, in the middle of the episode, and at the end of the episode by different people in different environments as if something is channeling to say, Chester needs to leave. What did you think of that?
1: Hmm. So, so you, you feel like that was part of also part of him leaving? Was that a uh, it's funny, I didn't. I didn't. Uh... No,
0: I. I don't feel like that was part of Chester's decision making. What I think is happening is the. I mean, I. I wish I could put this into better like quotes here, but there mm-hmm. is a force that is encouraging. Is the best word I've got, Chester to leave.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Something is encouraging him to be gone from where he is so why that's happening i think i i mean i could make some guesses but i don't know um but that does seem to be pretty important and why chester continues to hear that even when at some points it doesn't even feel super appropriate for him to hear it that it it just seems like that's very noteworthy oh
1: hmm, i gotta rethink that yeah that's interesting
0: the the reason that I think that Chester is leaving has absolutely nothing to do with what is currently happening uh, in the camp, other than, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to address something first before I think I get there. I, I hear what you're saying when you say that Chester seems very naive. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that if I were put into that position, and suddenly uh, in the United States, everyone who was uh, Italian, they said, okay, we're going to round you up and we're going to put you in these special places and uh, hey, listen, you know, we'll see what happens. I would feel like, hey, look, I was born here. I was raised here. There's no way that anybody is going to think that I, you know, have any kind of uh I clearly am the good guy here. No one is going to think that I'm not the good guy. How could anybody think that we're not? This is just going to be a passing thing. I I get it. I I really feel like Chester is responding not out of naivete, but out of a deep-seated identity to being an American citizen. And, and part of the reason I think that he misses some of the cues that are more cultural from the Japanese side is that he's more American than he is Japanese. And that's why he doesn't see some of the things that we as the audience say, oh, how come he didn't see that? But it does to me, it really does make sense that he's not seeing these things. Right. Does that do you know what I'm saying?
1: I mean I get it too but you know as a as a as a black american um I can relate to a certain degree cuz you know I was I'm an american right but I still see what you know black people have to go through in this country so I'm not naive about it you know
0: But do you think that Chester had experienced anything Well you know what actually okay I'm I'm going to give you I'm going to give you that I'm going to see that point because at the very beginning in Terminal Island, we did see that there were plenty of people who were harboring uh, ignorance and uh, prejudice against the Japanese in, uh, immigrants at Terminal Island. One of them ended up dead in the net. So you're right. So, y- right. that it, it definitely did exist. I, I, I think that Chester not only doesn't see that. I feel like that was for our benefit. And, and that Chester just doesn't see it, that it's just a blind spot for him because he just feels like nobody would ever doubt me. And, and, and his dad clearly does. I mean, even his dad said, look, I didn't think that way either until after they took me up there and beat me and left me in the cold. And now I realize, wow, no, the world is not what I thought it was.
1: Right. What's that? he see they said he said they see us as rats
0: they see us as rats yeah yeah uh, and uh, to me that also feels uh there there's a generational uh point here which seems important also to make and that is that the, the older the generation the more wisdom they have to look back on sort of contextually what's happening And the younger the generation, the less context they have to be able to see things correctly. Um, I want to jump to something and because tell me if I'm losing my mind. Right. I I feel like I sort of am. So Chester climbs up on the tower uh, at one point. This is after his dad comes back to the camp and Henry is in the uh, he's in the, the the barracks. And there's a spotlight, right? And that spotlight shines and it seems like it is really bothering him. And clearly Chester sees that. And so Chester climbs to the top of the guard tower and looks over the internment camp. One, I didn't see any other spotlights from that vantage point. And two, am I wrong that the spotlight was off?
1: Yeah, it was off.
0: So what was shining at Henry?
1: Oh, you're saying it never was lit.
0: I, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, my, uh, metaphor and symbolism of mind goes in all different directions on this and says, this is the kind of thing that is so, it, it's so thin that you might miss it, but, it it has huge, there's big implications that go along with this. And I wonder if that was something that uh, that that anybody else picked up on. I, I don't, at, at one point I actually thought, well, maybe I just missed when he unplugged it or turned it off or something. But I, I did go back and look and I can't seem to find that. He just climbed up the tower.
1: That's right? Yeah. I just assumed it was just off at that moment.
0: See, okay, so to me, I'll tell you what this this sort of symbolically looks like to me. To me, it symbolically looks like there is a light shining on Henry's dad that 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 Chester is able to see, although doesn't react to as strongly. And that the light, whatever that light is, it is meant to basically illuminate uh Chester's dad, Henry in a way to spotlight him look you're different there's something going on here whatever is happening it's meant to make you feel uncomfortable and again you know i, I can't put my finger exactly on what is happening specifically with that but it does feel like wow that was a it, it felt like a big moment that was that i almost had to sort of keep going back over in my head to figure out okay did i Am I reading too much into this? That's why I wanted to get your your take on it.
1: No, not at all. That was good. That's a good pickup. Um, I didn't. Uh, I did not. Uh, I didn't even pick up on that one.
0: So this episode actually did a lot of very interesting things with lights.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, when Duke Ellington is playing in the background, and uh, Chester's mom and dad are dancing under the stars which are basically the lights that they've strewn in between uh the 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 barracks Mm -hmm. um it 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 was that was i felt like that was really really interesting i really liked that backdrop but the other interesting thing that they did with lighting was this the the this episode was very dark isn't even the right word it was very uh devoid of color and uh and shadowy not shadowy like noir shadowy but shadowy like there's just so many shades of gray happening and it seems intensely purposeful and i i really liked that i i feel like the world is actually getting progressively stripped of colors in fact when she held up the dress i was struck by how little color there really was in it right. you know even in the even in a joyful moment of receiving a gift the world was still stripped of color
1: right and that seemed like it was kind of an overpay for his camera though. <laughs> oh,
0: I, know. I know. How much does he love her though? Yeah. I mean, that was actually really so I felt like that was actually really sweet. That was, you know, that was one of those things that like you write down and never forget when you treated. Yeah, that was really sweet. Hmm. Um let's see. So, okay. Um let's we're going to I'm going to because this episode felt like it was just chock-full of symbolism and lots of extended pieces. Uh I want to ask you what you think about the significance of swallows.
1: Oh yeah, that that scene um in the uh the what was it the mess hall um, with the the character that was just losing it. Um obviously Yuko is at play here. Um I don't know what exactly what swallows is in reference to, but obviously, I would assume maybe it's the entity or the spirit that is um, that is uh, permeating throughout the camp, you know, and following them. Um, you know, um, obviously that obviously it's something that affects you know it was affecting him at that moment in time um i can't tell you to be honest with you uh just you know i'm i'm sitting here like normally when i watch a program i'm like my i'm like ahead you know like oh, okay this is what it is but in this one i'm still like i'm i'm trying to figure it out as it goes along
0: so I found out a little bit. I, I do want to call into uh, into reference that in the very first episode we hear Yuko tell Chester that he is uh, a swallow in a swallow's nest.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so keep that in mind. And um, in Japan, <clears throat> symbolism is a little bit different in Japan for all kinds of different things. And in this, if there's Really, no exception in the in Western European cultures, swallows, uh, other than being a reference point for Monty Python, um, are usually the symbol of love, hope, uh, unity, um, really good stuff. You know, things that are actually very inspirational. In Japan, the swallow is a symbol of unfaithfulness disloyalty. But interestingly enough, the swallow is also a representation of devotion to family and motherly love. So uh, the, you know, there's two very, uh, juxtaposing pieces that go along with this and which one I feel like you could pluck either and have it make sense um just because it it feels like wow you know Mm -hmm. clearly there are secrets under the surface here that we don't quite understand but i do like that constant when chester was taking pictures of the sky what he saw in his frame was a group of swallows and the reason you can tell was their formation the swallows tend to fly in a certain formation I, i think that that's what they were indicating so if 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 he was also getting them in his camera, that also seems to signify something that it does have something to do with Chester, which I also kind of loved. But what, but, but what caused, uh, what caused the outburst is such a crazy mystery. And it was at that time that, that, that I sort of, began to think that there was something maybe even a little bit more uh insidious that was happening that this isn't this isn't what i would consider to be like a classic uh you know a demon possession or something like that there's something else very um under the surface here which which is fascinating it's real it's actually really fascinating with this episode in context it feels like a lot of things that didn't fall into place in the first two episodes have now very much and firmly fallen into place for me i know you're not 100% on board but no, I, I
1: feel like
0: we're getting there we're getting
1: there yeah, okay
0: um okay so i'm i also okay. want to Go ahead.
1: No, go ahead. I'm
0: good. I I was also going to say one other thing, which is uh, another huge theme of this episode was uh, the theme of translation. Mm. Understanding uh, that there is, that there are hidden meanings behind things uh, was very clearly obvious, not just from the overt. He goes to get a job as a translator and, you know, finds the poem and breaks the code, but also that what people are saying is uh shrouded in a kind of codified mystery that we don't have all the clues to understand yet but it seems pretty obvious based on uh even some of the way that that things are being said from a meter standpoint don't whenever they said henry um or chester you have to go it it felt different. It didn't feel like natural speech, which I have to assume was very by design because it happened over multiple characters in multiple different places. So that seemed, uh, th- th- but it happens in other places too, which is, is actually kind of interesting. I think that this entire episode went by from start to finish as a kind of Uh, a transitional phase between what we know now about the characters in a very uh, solid and distinct way to what will not just happen to the characters, but we can move forward into a story having a very firm grasp on who the characters are. And I I mean, I have to say, I am... I'm curious about what will happen next, but I am also looking now forward to how some of these very intriguing signals that they have sent to us story-wise will unfold. I, they did such a good job. I I I have to say also I really loved the the um the parallel between Chester and his mom, uh or I'm sorry, Chester, Chester's dad and his mom dancing. To do Gellington, and then having a scene where Luz and Chester do, you know, their sort of dance—it's so very poignant. And again, you know, they're they're doing such a good job of pointing out that generationally things are very different, but generationally things stay the same. I I, I loved that message. What did you think?
1: Yeah, uh, um, that's interesting though. Like, um uh this movie this movie I'm sorry this TV show um is very good on the themes and each episode has a theme and they do a great job at um at um being the through line for each episode and that is something that I uh that I did pick up on the the idea of translation because there's several instances throughout the episode where that is a a um uh is a point of reference through the show is uh you know whether it's the blatant um you know getting the job or is it translating for the doctor um when they're having the um when they're having the uh, doctor's visit or even talking to uh to um the parents you know uh um. I would say that um that you can make an argument that, that that translation has some you can he's although he's a Japanese, he's a Japanese American, um him translating um what's going on as far as what's happening to him and his family, you can make it. that's an overall arcing theme, you know? Right. And- I think it's very important that they did that very early on in in the uh in this in this um uh T V series uh or this season. Uh so that going forward you kind of have like a, I, you know, you set these themes out so that it carries through throughout the whole, you know, the whole the, the whole uh, run of the, the season.
0: Right, because not just does Chester uh, sort of act as a literal translator, both for the army now and uh, and for whatever he's going to encounter and for his parents on a linguistic uh, vantage point. But he also acts as kind of a generational translator between an older generation and a younger generation. And that puts him in a very unique position. It's one of the reasons that I feel also pretty strongly that his naivete is actually sort of a it, it's a it, it is a a characteristic of being a part of a generation that doesn't have historical context and, <laughs> and I feel like it would be ridiculous if he did because it would feel like it, it would feel wrong it just wouldn't feel right it wouldn't feel as uh complete I don't think Because he's obviously very smart. He's very smart. We saw how smart he was when he picked up on the code, right? We sort of get that feeling that there's something more to Chester uh, intellectually than perhaps even that we've been able to see so far. But we also recognize that Chester has a long way to go when it comes to environmental wisdom and cultural wisdom on either side of this right both the japanese side and the uh american side and you know, how easily he passes off you know the idea of the shapeshifter uh how easily he passes off the idea but y- you can see that things are starting to sort of stack up for him right and and you know we got a peek of yuko in this episode we saw that she is definitely Uh, a part of whatever's happening Um, and just that one little glimpse felt like uh, (laughs) it's just sort of uh, the the insertion of there's so much more going on here than uh, than you can possibly even be able to see or trust yourself to understand which honestly I really did like I thought that was really well done.
1: Um, and, you know, when she uh, started off with the kiss, at first you're like, as a guy, you're like, oh, that's not so bad. And then, you know, when she ripped out his tongue, then it was like, no, yeah, I don't want that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can sort of see why you'd feel that way.
1: Yeah, it was good at first, but then it was like, uh, no, we don't want
0: it it it's interesting to me to take this journey uh one because you know just from uh the context of i live in hawaii i think i said this before you know i, I there are a lot of uh japanese families around um mm-hmm. japanese american and there's a lot of uh japanese influence here i mean you know we have all kinds of things we have Matsuris, we have. uh, We just, I mean, there's so much cultural influence here from Japan. And, and it is really fascinating. In fact, um, I was, I just took another uh, tour of what we used to have as the sugar mill here. And a lot of the people who came to Hawaii early on uh, were immigrants that did sugar, all kinds of things with sugar. Um, And, and their environments were, it it actually reminded me of what I'm seeing on TV right now, where they were like all living in these long barracks where, um, where it it felt like more of a camp situation. Um, And there's something really fascinating about the way that this show is uncovering the history of, what, uh, of not just a part of uh, American history that maybe we aren't too familiar with, but also at a time when we are really struggling as a nation to understand what is the other and how do we, what's our response to the other? What do we do? What's our, how do we feel about this? I mean, you know, it would be very short-sighted of me not to mention the fact that look we have these situations that confront us on a daily basis and when art gives us the opportunity to look with a, a kind of lens at what our current situation is but through fictional eyes sometimes it can create moments of clarity moments of uh, of real empathy that maybe we didn't even understand before so i kind of i have to laud the show for that that was really good
1: no, I mean you. You gotta give. You gotta give it a lot of credit. Yeah, no, the show's great. In that regard,
0: thing, uh, before we wrap up here, but and I want to ask you actually one more question. Um, but the other thing that I found very interesting, or I, I'm finding very interesting, about the way that they're presenting the show is the 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 the, the very specific tone that they are taking between man and woman in, in terms of where their power centers are. I mean, look, we know that there are very historical uh, pieces, metrics that were set in terms of, you know, who sort of has the overarching, Uh, power in all kinds of different relationships but I have to say that the women in the terror are really holding their own in terms of being written as some very strong characters um they in terms of show don't tell the women tell us a lot by showing us what they're doing and it's it, it's exceptional the way I think that they have crafted these roles for the characters to fit, um, to give us all kinds of insight not just into uh, daily life but also into this is where we were as uh as a as a as a nation as a culture as a country this is the this is how it existed and it's it, what is so fascinating to me is that the women. It is obvious that they are really sort of uh, "quote unquote" running the show, but they they do it from a seat of power that is so far back um, that it, that it's that it almost feels like you know they're driving without even having the steering wheel. I I just sort of loved that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, they are very strong characters, and and uh, kudos to the writers for really showing that because you know they could have very easily have gone the other way and uh, I like the fact that they what they've done so
0: So I, th- my my closing question to you is, and you know you you alluded to this a little bit, but my closing question to you is, does this episode do anything for you in the sense that it gives you any further either, Uh, hope for where things are going? Do you feel more invested? Or do you feel like, look, you're at the third episode and it's getting more difficult for you, which is where I'm sensing you're coming from, uh, that it's getting more difficult to sort of uh, understand where things might go?
1: I'm slightly more interested. Uh, It's it's still, you know, I mean, from the previews of next episode, it looks like it's going to be, uh, you know, more engaging. I'm just hoping that, you know, it is.
0: I I personally think that this episode, like I said, put a lot into context in terms of what happened in the past two episodes. It, it's worth noting, I think, because even I was feeling a little bit frustrated with episodes one and two. Mostly, I think, because I had it despite the revelation of very early supernatural stuff which i almost wondered if that was smart i i felt like there it was such a, a a jumble of stuff to sort of put all together but this episode was like a like a crossroads where many other destinations sort of converged into, in order for us to get the clear path forward. And I like that kind of storytelling, even when I'm a little bit frustrated by the very beginnings, because it allows me to go back and reflect Mm -hmm. in retrospect on what then was told before. Um, And sometimes those things really, you have to be patient with them, but they really do pay off. And one more quick thing: the acting in this series is phenomenal. It is. The people are exactly who they should be. It's. I don't feel like anybody does uh, overacting, underacting. Um, it it's it's excellent. It's really excellent. So I'm gonna close up. And uh, ask how people can grab you on social media. I'm super excited about what happens next episode. Tell me how people can find you on social media.
1: They can get me uh, at Kente F on Twitter, and they can uh, go get me on Instagram at Kente Fergerson. That's K I N T E F E R G E R S O N. And of course, the website is IndieRadio.org.
0: And people can find me on Twitter at Following Bliss One and you can find my websites at criticallaughs.com and moviesmakeatmeal.com join us next week for the next episode and we'll break it down and see where things go thanks for tuning in